Hello, City First. Come on, give that a round of applause. What a great testimony. And give yourselves a round of applause for being here today, especially on the day that you spring forward, right? Yeah, so I, I commend you for being here. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, we're in this series called Pre-Approved for Financial Peace, and we are talking about ways to manage money in a way that gets God's approval, and ultimately, you find financial peace. And uh, I said this last week, you know, why are we doing this series? Well, the genesis of it has come from many conversations I've had over the last six months with various types of people from various types of ages. And there seems to be this overarching stress right now because of finances in our culture, the, the economy, inflation, all of these things. And literally, as I'm talking to people, they're telling me that it's creating tension in their marriages, in their relationships, even in their work relationships, or personally, they're even losing sleep. And I thought about it, I thought, you know, then we need to do a series on this because um, I, I believe it's something we need to talk about. Now, now, people get funny when you talk about money, especially in church, and I just want to just say to all of us, let's not get funny about it, and here's the reason why. We deal with money every single day. In fact, you can't live without money. Turn the person next to you and say, I can't live without money, right? I mean, it's true. The Bible talks about money. Jesus, in his parables, spoke to the topic of money. And really, like I said, we deal with it every single day. In fact, today you will deal with money. You need to have money to put gas in the tank, right? You need money to pay for the heating bill or the AC bill, wherever you're at in the nation right now. Uh, you need money to be able to put food on the table. These are all things. Money is a part of our life. So for us to ignore the subject in church is absolutely ignorant because it is a part of life. And the reason why, if we're going to just be honest, why people get funny when you talk about money in church is because there's been some goons in the past that have ran churches and have abused money, all right? But that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. You know, you got a bad haircut one time. That doesn't mean you avoid the barber. Okay, there are some people out there in churches that have abused money and, and have done things wrongly. And, and I admit that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Because again, it's something that's creating a lot of stress right now. And I can hear what some of you are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, well, the Bible was written like a long, long time ago. Um, what does the Bible know about like modern financial situations like what does the bible really have to say about our increasing inflation right now about gas prices about taxes about the stock market our 401k or you know the price of eggs what does the bible have to say about these things well really the bible doesn't speak specifically to those things but the bible does have some overarching timeless truths that we can talk about in fact i want to do an exercise with you real quick I want all of you, real quickly, just to close your eyes, all right? Now, please, please don't look, all right? Close your eyes. I want you right now to point with your eyes closed in the direction that you think is north, all right? So right now, take your hand, point in the direction, all right? Now, freeze. Don't move your hand. Open your eyes, all right? Look around you. Some of you are a little bit maybe directionally challenged, right? Okay. All right. Now, I have this right now. Keep, your, keep pointing, okay? I, I have this right now. This is a compass. This is not electronic. This is actually analog. I'm going to tell you 
exactly where north is. North is right there. How many of you are right? All right. Now, you can put your your arms down for a moment. Now, why did I do that? Because when it comes to the subject of money, what you just saw is a great picture of what happens in our culture. There are a lot of opinions about money, right? Okay, pointing all over the place. But there's only one true north. And the Bible really for us is a true north. Now, it may not speak to the price of eggs, But I promise you, it gives you overarching principles that are true north principles, and it will guide you, even though others are going, go this direction, go this direction, go this direction. So this week, I'm talking about playing the long game when it comes to money. Playing the long game. Now, what does it mean to play the long game? It means this. It means making unexciting, (laughs) dull, boring decisions today that will benefit you in your future. The long game means that you're thinking about making decisions today that aren't just, you know, like maybe, you know, really exciting today. In fact, they might even be unexciting decisions, but your future is going to be better because of it. Most of us make decisions today that really only benefit us today, especially when it comes to money. It's called living by impulse, and Americans are really good at this. I know I've been really good at this. I almost entitled today's message, Boring Things to Do with Your Money. But I thought to myself, I thought, I already have a hard enough time keeping some of you awake when I talk. You know what I mean? That would definitely be a snoozer. So here's the thing. I want to talk about some really unexciting, boring things today that are really going to help you. In fact, I almost entitled this instead, True happiness is one purchase away. That would make everybody go, ooh, I want to hear this. But I thought, you know what, that's what culture tells you every single day, and how's that working out for us? Culture says true happiness is just one purchase away. Now today, I'm going to give you some really basic things, and these basic things are going to help you build financial peace in your future, and it could be a year from now, it could be five years from now, ten years from now, whatever, but I'm going to give you some really basic things, and here's the reason why. Most of what I'm going to tell you today, you didn't learn in school. You learned about uh, parallelograms, which has really helped you in this parallelogram season, right? I'm going to actually talk to you today about some basic things about finances that maybe you didn't learn from your family, you didn't learn from school, and I'm going to tell you these things because it's going to help you build financial peace. My goal as your pastor is that you have financial peace. I really want you to have that because, again, everybody I'm talking, not everybody, but a lot of people I'm talking to, the majority of people I'm talking to, they're stressed, they're even losing some sleep. So let's start out with some truths about money. First of all, truths about money. Number one, when it comes to money, it feels like you never have enough. Right? Um, In fact, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Rockefeller back in the early 1900s was asked, how much is enough money for a man to be happy? And he answered, always one dollar more. Okay? No matter how much money you have right now, I guarantee you, you probably feel like it's not enough. It's not like you woke up and you're like, I got enough money. I'm good. I haven't heard that from a lot of people, okay? That's a truism. Second thing is this. Money is amoral. It is amoral. It does not have a moral assignment attached to it. Some people have misquoted the Bible as saying money is the root of all evil. That is not how the Bible reads. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. 
In fact, there's nothing wrong with having money. Money doesn't have a moral assignment. The way you use it and the way you view it can be good or bad, but itself is not good or bad. Number three, money is a tool. That's all it is. It's a means to an end. Money is a tool. It, it, it just, it's something you need to live. All right. Number four, money is necessary. Kind of what I just said. You need money. In fact, it, it, to say, well, I don't need any money. Oh, okay, well, how are you going to live then, right? We all need money. It is necessary. Number five, money does not bring happiness. Now, now, I should have really reworded this. It should be money does not bring lasting happiness, all right? It does bring temporary happiness. Like, if you have money, it brings temporary happiness. It doesn't bring lasting happiness, though. Number six, money is an excellent servant, and it is a terrible master. All right? It's an excellent servant. Like, when you lead money, when you direct money, guess what? That's awesome. But when money directs you, that's not so awesome. All right? When it's your servant, it's a terrible servant. In fact, Jesus said it this way in the book of Matthew. Let's go to God himself. What did he say about money? He said that this, no man can serve two masters, for if you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word there, I put a little asterisk there. That's not in the Bible. That word uh, money, that asterisk means that really in the Aramaic uh, language, it is mammon, mammon. That's probably what Jesus actually said. He probably said the word mammon, all right? Mammon means riches, wealth, and has a connotation that you worship these things, all right? So, in other words, Jesus is saying you can't worship God and you can't worship wealth. You got to choose one or the other, and uh, it's easy to allow money and wealth and riches to rule our hearts. And when that happens, we find ourselves in a place many times of stress and worry and most of all, unfulfillment. Last truism about money is this, is that money does not fix your life. It makes you more of who you already are. All right? You see, money, if you're a worrier... You get an extra $10,000, that just makes you more of a worrier. I've known people that have little money and people that have a lot of money and they worry about their money because deep down inside they're a worrier and money just amplifies whatever is already in your heart. If you are generous and you get money, you're going to be more generous. If you're a jerk and you get money, you're going to be a bigger jerk. I mean, it's really true. You know, it's like the old saying that the difference between a jerk and an eccentric is a million dollars. You're a jerk if you have no money. If you have a million dollars, then you're eccentric, right? Either way, it just makes you more of who you already are. The key is, is this. The key is that you rule over money and not have money rule over you. That's really the key here. That's the key. You can give that a round of applause. Some of you want to, some of you want to applaud that. That's really true. And the way to rule over money is to see money for what it really is and to direct that money. Does that make sense? In other words, you rule over it. It doesn't rule over you. This is a talk for everybody. Some people might think, oh, this is a talk for people that maybe don't have as much money. Not true. According to Forbes magazine, listen to this, 80% of retired football players will be broke within three years of leaving the league. That is eight out of every 10 guys you watch on Sundays will be broke three years after retirement. Now, how can you burn through millions of dollars that you've accumulated over your career? You know how you can do it? Easy. 
It's easy to do it. Some of you are like, no way. Oh, yeah? No, it's easy. It's easy to make a lot of money. It's easy to make a little bit of money. And at the end of the day, you're broke as a joke. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's easy to do. Because whether you have tens of dollars or millions of dollars, if you don't see money for what it is, and especially if you don't direct your money, you can lose it. So today, I'm talking to everybody. Whether you have a lot of money in your piggy bank right now, or maybe you're like, you don't have that much money in your piggy bank. How you see money and how you direct it is so important, all right? There are really four different um, categories of people um, all of us fall into one of these categories that I'm talking to today. The first one would be this, that maybe you're in the stressed category when it comes to money. You're stressed. In other words, you're barely making it. Um, maybe debt is increasing. Uh, if one thing breaks, if a, a car breaks or a furnace breaks or something breaks in your life, it is going to be a huge issue because you're not sure how you're going to cover that bill. Um, you feel kind of hopeless, if you're going to be honest. Um, I've been there. Just so you guys know, I think most of us have been at a stress place, uh, and you're not alone. You're not alone. That's the biggest thing. When you're in a stress place, um, your mind tells you, and I think the enemy amplifies these thoughts, your mind tells you you're the only one dealing with this. That is not true. If you look at the data, there's a lot of Americans in the stress category, all right? The second category is semi-stable. Semi-stable means that you're paying your bills. Um, maybe you don't have much in savings. Maybe you have credit card debt and you're not able to necessarily pay off the debt at the end of the month. So maybe the credit card debt is accumulating or maybe not being paid off at least. And, and you know what? The increase in costs in our culture and in our economy in the last year have really put a pinch on you. Like, I mean, gas prices, egg prices, chicken prices, all these things are rising and, and you're like, you're feeling the pinch. And you're paying your bills, but you're kind of nervous. You're kind of nervous. That would be the semi-stable category. Um, the next category would be that you're getting ahead. You're getting ahead. In other words, you have enough money for each month and maybe even some extra, right? You're starting to build maybe a savings account. Um, you're making timely payments. You're not late on your payments. You're not even making payments ahead of time. Um, you're feeling pretty secure. Even though the economy is a little bit rough waters right now, you're feeling like, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not cocky about this, but I feel kind of secure. Now, most people, most people think in America that's as good as it gets. If I could just get to that stage of where I'm making the monthly payments, I have a little bit left over every, every month, that would be utopia, that would be the goal. But guess what? There's actually even one more category according to the Bible, and that is this. Um, we're calling it the thriving category. And that is where you're actually getting out of debt, um, maybe you're even out of debt. You're, you're planning for your future. You're building wealth, not only wealth for your lifetime, but maybe even wealth to be passed on to your kids or something like that. You can weather most financial storms. And where I say most is, you know, 1929 was a, a black swan. That was like really, that was crazy. I don't know if we're ever going to have one of those again, an outlier like that. But the point is, is this, you could weather most financial storms. You're generous. You actually feel excited about where you're at financially. That's the thriving category. Now listen, I believe regardless of what category you're in, there's hope. I just want to stop and say that. There's hope. Like you might be feeling hopeless, like you're in the stress category, you're hopeless, but I want to tell you, there is hope. One year from now, 
your financial picture can be different. I believe that. I really believe that, okay? Um, maybe you're feeling even nervous right now, like you're semi-stable, but you're feeling nervous. Listen, there's hope. Or maybe you feel stable, but you're like, I want to be able to reduce debt. I want to be able to build wealth for not only me, but future generations. I want to be generous with my, my, my money. Guess what? There's hope for that too. And even if you're in the thriving category, I believe there's a new level of purpose that God could even take you to in your finances, all right? So the remainder of time we have together, I'm going to get super practical. Boring. I'm going to get super practical, all right? But these are time-trusted time-tested biblical truths that I think if you understand, they're going to help you immensely, all right? Bible says this in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about finances, about managing finances and all that. It says this, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Turn to the person next to you, the other person, and say, work hard. Work hard. All right. Point number one is this, to have financial peace, you must be willing to work hard. Now, I realize that may seem super, super practical. Again, remember, I'm, I'm borderline boring today. This is unexciting, but it will change your life, I promise. I know this may seem simple, and in this day and age, people want success without the sweat, but uh, really... If you want success, it requires the sweat, it requires the sweat equity, it requires that you work hard. Financial peace will not strike you like lightning, all right? You must do the work. Uh, about three years ago, right before COVID, I had the privilege of meeting with Nick Saban, the coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, all right? And uh, I know some of you hate him because he's a winner. <laughs> but, uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. He said something pretty astounding. It was myself and a group of pastors that he's meeting with for 27 minutes on the money. It was 27 minutes, literally. He said he'd give us 27 minutes, and at the 27-minute mark, he walked out the door, literally. Um, he said some pretty astounding things about leadership, but one of the things he said that was really shocking is whether you love or hate Nick Saban or the uh, you know Alabama, um, they recruit and they usually recruit uh, top-shelf athletes for their football program, all right? I mean, they recruit the best of the best. In fact, there are many people that leave Alabama and go on to the NFL. And um, literally, I'm sitting in a chair next to Tua, and uh, we're listening to Nick. I mean, it's a surreal moment for me. And I, uh, I hear Nick say this, and I'll never forget, he said this. He goes, that of his recruits, he believes only 10% of the recruits want to actually do the work and be developed. Only 10%. I mean, he's getting the creme de la creme to come to Alabama. And he said, only one out of ten, really, wants to do the work and be better. And then he pointed at Tua, and he goes, and that's one of them right there. And I thought, wow, even in a program like that, only one out of ten wants to do the work. You know, success requires work. You have to have a disciplined life and you execute that discipline every single day. What is discipline? Discipline is basically this, something you don't want to do, and you do it anyway. That's all it is. You know, you don't want to work out, and you do it anyway. You want to, you know, save money, you don't want to do it necessarily, but you do it anyway. I mean, like, you, you don't, you, you want to buy that new sweater, 
But you don't do it because you have a discipline. Whatever it is, Nick Saban said, you got to edit your behavior so it coincides with your goals. And that's really true. It's going to take work to see the results that you want to see in your finances. All right? Now, there's no really like warm, fuzzy thing I have to say beyond that. Do the work. (laughs) I know some of you are like going, well, give me a little more. No, no, do the work. All right? Work is not a four-letter word. It is, but it's not, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? All right, you got to do the work, all right? Proverbs goes on to say this. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So this denotes something. You got to work, but also you got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. Number two, you make a plan, you work the plan, and the plan will work. All right, you hear that? You got to make a plan. Got to work the plan, and the plan will work. Years ago, um, probably 20 years ago or so, when Jen and I, uh, we were newly married, and we've been married now for 27 years, and, and um, you know, we were, we were kind of in a, in a rough spot because we found ourselves not having enough money at the end of the month, it seemed like. And uh, we were spending, and it felt like the money was just kind of leaking out. <laughs> we didn't know where it was going. So we decided that we would sit down and we would write down every single expense as to where the money went. So we were going to track the money. And we were shocked to find out that the money was being spent a lot on eating out and takeout, as well as we had to face the reality that we were spending money on impulse buys it's kind of like this meme right here some of you will resonate and it is this how i spend my money rent bills i just need to grab a few things at target (laughs) don't nudge your spouse but some of you can resonate with this right Say, I'm going to go to Target and buy some soap you come home with no soap but you spend 150 bucks i don't know what happened right Well, we had to come up with a plan, and we decided that we would direct our money rather than spend it. That's huge. Somebody like, well, you're still spending it. No, no, no. Spending is just kind of like impulse, whatever. We were going to direct our money. So what we did is we sat down, we gave ourselves a little budget. We said we could spend this much money on eating out. We could spend this much money, you know, obviously on heating bills and all the things. We started to direct the money. It was no fun. It is not exciting. And it's all the things I'm talking about today. It's the stuff that you're not going to leave going, wow, he, pa- he just preached the paint off the walls. Man, I'm telling you, that was awesome. No, it's all the unexciting stuff. But if you actually do it, I think that you will um, see that there is some waste spending going on that you can reel in and rein in and you can have a little bit more money than what you think that you have. Um, you know, Christian financial advisors like Dave Ramsey, he says this. He says that you come up with a 10-10-80 plan. 10-10-80. Basically what that is is 10% goes to God, 10% goes into your savings, you live off of 80%. So 10% goes to God, 10% goes into your savings, and you live off of 80%. Now I can hear some of you right now, you're thinking to yourself or you're saying, I can't do that. Like I, don't ha- I can't live off of 80%. Maybe right now you're living off of 105%. Okay? And, 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 and you're not, again, that's not abnormal in our culture. You might feel like you're the only one. You're not. Okay? Uh, here's the thing. Then what you do is you need to work towards the goal of 10, 10, 80. 
Work towards that as a goal. One thing that, uh, that many Christian financial advisors say is this, is you start paying just the minimums on your credit cards, assuming you have credit card debt, okay? Just pay the minimums and start putting money into a savings account until it builds up to $1,000, okay? I know some of you are like, well, shouldn't I pay off the credit cards? Yeah, yeah, but pay the minimums. Don't use the credit cards anymore. Don't be increasing it, but... Start taking that money, just pay the minimums, and put it into a savings account. Build it to $1,000. Get, get money to $1,000. It may take you months and months and months to do this. Do you know if you get $1,000 in your savings account, you are doing better than most of the Americans that are living right now in our nation? 56% of Americans right now do not have $1,000 in their savings account. 56%. That's over over half, okay? So, it, why do you do that? Because things break. And if you have $1,000 in your savings account, when you need new tires, when you need new brakes, when your furnace goes out, or whatever else, you actually have the money there to be able to fix it, all right? Then once you get the $1,000 in your savings account, then you start working on paying down your credit cards. Now, you start with the smallest balance first, now, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just giving you, this is like real brief, all right, just to give you something to take home. You start with the smallest balance. You go, well, why? Don't I want to pay the larger balance because I'm paying so much? Yes, but here's the thing. If you start with the smaller balance, I'm speaking to your emotions right now. If you actually pay off a credit card, you're going to feel like you won the Super Bowl. And you're going to go, I can do this. So before you tackle the one with the biggest balance, tackle the one with the smallest balance. Get a win under your belt. Does that make sense? Get a win under your belt. And then you take on the next biggest one and the next biggest one. And you keep doing it until finally you get yourself stable. Proverbs 22.7 says this. It says the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender, which brings me to my third point. Avoid more debt. Avoid more debt, all right? Um, one of the versions of that verse, a different version, says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt can be slavery. Now, this is where, you know, Dave Ramsey and I kind of disagree a little bit. He's the expert. I'm not. So let me just be honest, okay? I've had dinner at his house before, um, and, uh, and I will tell you he's a lot more successful at telling people how to manage their finances than I am. So this is me, like, you know, uh, being not as, as, as uh, wise about money or maybe more ignorant than he is. But I, I, don't, I don't think that all debt is bad. I think sometimes you have to get debt. Like, like um, if you, especially debt on an appreciating item, like a house, you can't really buy a house nowadays without taking out a mortgage, all right? But I think what, you know, we're saying today is avoid unnecessary debt, Avoid debt on depreciating items, all right? Um, you know, most Americans get into debt for things that, that maybe sometimes they need, but many times they don't. You know that right now, I can go buy this sweater and not pay any money. I could pay over time or the next three months. I could literally go online and I could buy the sweater. The sweater gets shipped to me and I don't have to pay for it right away. That's stupid debt. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not wise, does that make sense? And, and here's the problem. Americans are doing it like crazy. Like, like buy some shoes, but don't pay for it until three months from now. Or, 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 you know, buy things with money that we don't have. 
And a lot of this is driven, if I could just speak to it, it's, a, it's really a, a soul issue. A lot of it is driven by our toxic status symbol society. I have to have a certain type of shoes, a certain type of look, I have to drive a certain type of car, I have to have a certain size of house. All of these things drive us because 24-7 we have the pressure of commercials and media and even sometimes peers that are putting pressure on us to live a certain way, dress a certain way, and those kind of things. And it's an unreasonable pressure. And so what do we do? We get into debt buying these things. But there's a book that came out a long time ago called The Millionaire Next Door. And this, these uh, two authors, they basically did all this research on millionaires in America. And they found out this, that most millionaires in America don't look like millionaires. I'm going to save you the read, all right? Basically, they say most millionaires and people with money don't look like they have money. Like, like the most popular car for a millionaire is a Toyota. It's not a Mercedes, a BMW, or a Lamborghini, all right? Um, 80% of them started with next to no money at the beginning of their life or their career, so that means they're first-generation moneymakers, all right? They didn't inherit it. Also, the average millionaire doesn't become a millionaire until age 54, the average millionaire doesn't wear a Gucci belt or push around their chihuahua in a $400 dog stroller. <laughs> now, if you wear a Gucci belt, no judging. If you push around your chihuahua in a dog stroller, a little bit of judging. But no, okay, no. <laughs> I'm kidding, kinda. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing, all right? The deal is, is this is that this book says that most of them were in very unexciting, dull, low-tech trades. Construction, farmers, owners of mobile home parks, pest control, stamp and coin dealers. I mean, like, literally. Not real, like, amazing, high-tech, low-tech. This week we found out that Silicon Valley is a little bit unstable, right? Biggest bank defaulted this week. All right, so here's the thing. Most importantly, this book says this. They had a financial plan. They avoided extravagant purchases they could not afford, and they worked hard for decades. There, ladies and gentlemen, is your unexciting, boring truth I want you to leave with today for financial peace. It's not wrong to have nice things. Okay, listen, this is not a... Sometimes churches give this vibe that it's wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to have nice things as long as those nice things don't have you. Does that make sense? So if you can afford it, great. There's nothing wrong with it because we would rather be the master and not the servant to our money. Lastly, and in closing, before we pray, the Bible says this in 1 Peter, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Do you know that God even cares about your money? He does, because it's a part of your life in the same way that he cares about your health and he cares about your relationships and he cares about your children and he cares about your parents. He cares about your money. And so I would say point number four is let God turn your worries into why not? Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? Okay, let me explain. 
Because a lot of us are worrying right now about money. We're worrying about maybe retirement. Maybe we're worrying about, you know, how we're going to be able to afford gas. We're worried about how we're going to be able to get the, our kids new clothes because they're outgrowing their clothes. There's all of these worries, okay? And I think we need to say, God, based upon that verse, we're going to cast our cares and our worries on you. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, why can't God bless me too? Why can't God take care of me? Turn our worries into why not. Here, God has blessed others with financial peace. You should ask yourself the question, why can't he bless me too with that? Because he wants to. God has helped others put together a plan. Why can't he help me put together a plan? God has helped others get out of debt or at least reduce their debt. Why can't he help me reduce my debt? God has helped others work hard and find the right job. You just saw it, like literally, Derek and Carrie saw that testimony. He didn't have the job that he wanted and God helped him find a new job. Why can't he do that with me too? You should be asking that question. Why not? Why can't the God of all resource help me? I believe that he can. So today, I'm giving you these very practical, true north kind of principles. They're analog. They're not digital. They're hundreds of years old. They're found from the Bible. And I believe that you put them into play and you navigate your finances not with everyone pointing in the direction of where they think money should go, but rather, what does the Bible say about money? If you do that and you find your true north, God will give you financial peace. And even in tumultuous seasons where the economy is wonky and there's times where life doesn't make sense, God will give you peace. Paul, the Apostle Paul said this, and I quoted this a couple weeks ago, this verse. He said, I've had plenty and I've been in want. There's going to be times as Christ followers, we're going to have plenty. And sometimes we're, we have wants, but God gives us peace. Don't you want peace? Don't you want to sleep? Don't you want to stop stressing? Let's put some of these principles in play. And let's see what God does. Let's put God to the test. Because this is the only thing, the subject of money is the only thing that God in the Bible says, test me on it. It's in the book of Malachi. It's talking specifically about the tithe. He says, test me on this. So, say, God, why not me? Why can't you help me? I believe you can. So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. Lord, I pray for my friends as we've listened to a very practical teaching about money. Money is a necessary thing. Money is something we deal with every day. We can't avoid it. But Lord, as we've listened to some ex unexciting, but yet super impacting truisms, God, I pray that you would give us the discipline to edit our life to line up with our goals. God, may we even get excited about it and start today. And Lord, if we're stressed, may we have hope. If we're semi-stable, may we have hope. Lord, I pray that if we find ourselves in a place of, of where 
we are able to make it by and we are even having a little bit more every month, may we still find hope to get to a thriving stage. And if we're in a thriving stage, may we have hope to know that, God, you even have a greater purpose for us with generosity and stewardship of your money. God, it all belongs to you. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be wise. And especially for those of us that maybe grew up in a home or maybe in an environment that we didn't have it modeled for us. God, I pray give us hope and faith today to realize today is a line of demarcation. We can step across that line and we can have financial peace. We can have financial peace. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God a round of applause?